1: Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday.
0: Alright, we are once again stepping into MCU adjacent? No, this is official MCU. Yes, well, when this thing was made it wasn't, but now No, no, it it still was. It still Yeah, so we are talking about Marvel's Daredevil, the Netflix series, which is not on Netflix anymore. It's on Disney Plus.
1: Yeah, the the thing is, is that you are correct in being confused Mm -hmm. because everyone was confused at the time. It was very easy to understand that S.H.I.E.L.D. And Agent Carter, which were the two Marvel TV series that came out prior to Daredevil, were definitely MCU. They were on ABC. They had the the big MCU stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, We're definitely tying into the movies here. And then they did Daredevil. And it was like... Yeah, we've got the street level superheroes and we're doing them on Netflix and they are going to mention Marvel superheroes, but they're not really going to be mentioned by any of the other superheroes and they're not going to cross over with anybody and we're not really going to acknowledge that they exist in the larger franchise and like
0: like people were like why aren't these Netflix characters crossing over to anything else this was a joint production between Marvel's television division which did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and ABC which aired Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you would think that at least one of these characters would show up on Agents of Shield in some capacity, you know. You'd think Shield would be interested in a in a martial arts guy in a red suit or a super powered private investigator or a man with unbreakable skin, but no, no. Shield has no problem, no, no interest in talking about any of them. And the big one being, why were these characters not in Endgame? To the point where fans had to make their own edit to put these characters in the final battle of Avengers Endgame. That's how much they wanted them in this freaking movie. And at the time it was like, well, we're not sure how many people watch Daredevil or Jessica Jones or Iron Fist or Luke Cage or Punisher. So we're not really going to put them in the movie. And lo and behold, out of nowhere, Charlie Cox shows up in Spider-Man.
1: I I have always felt it was a cop out for them to say like, well, we don't know how many people are watching because granted you and I don't know how many people are watching, but I refuse to believe that Netflix and Marvel never knew how many people were watching. They they may
0: not release the viewing figures publicly, but even Disney knows because we've seen it with other Disney, uh, Disney plus originals. Well, they w- well they will say X number of people have watched this show. They did it for like The Mandalorian and for Hawkeye and for all of the other major shows. They'll say this is the most watched show on our service. It got watched by X number of people. So they knew who was watching and how many people were watching.
1: Yeah, I mean we I, th- I think we've was- talked before, you know whether or not we've we've really made it a point on on the show but we definitely talk amongst ourselves about how difficult it is to find numbers on certain things when we're we're trying to figure out like what we should talk about and what's the most popular and what's really trending among people um because streaming services are notoriously difficult even more so than traditional media ever was about numbers uh So trying to figure these things out for people like us who are just trying to follow the trends and figure out what's getting ratings is absolutely infuriating. But I will never believe that on the back end, the companies do not know hard figures.
0: Yeah, and I also think this was at this was also at the time where Marvel Studios and Marvel Television were two different entities. They did not, you know, they had split at this point due to the ongoing disagreements between Kevin Feige and uh, I. Pearl Mutter. So Feige, I can see Feige not really wanting to play ball with with Pearl Mutter, and I'm going to have your characters in my movie.
1: Yeah, but it's it's really weird that in the TV division these characters were not really playing ball with each other. The the fact that like you never had Claire show up in Agents of Shield or something or foggy show up to give law advice decide you don't even need the the big people the fact that not even like a side character popped up in something the closest
0: we ever got was the newscasters and that's only because these were actual
1: real life newscasters <laughs> well yeah and those don't really count because they're they're not really MCU people it's it's just these are real life people making cameos, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: It's it's absolutely infuriating that it took us until Hawkeye and Spider Man and stuff like that for these characters to really be acknowledged into the the larger continuity for the the Defenders series and uh, that of was, heroes. Yeah, and that was after
0: Netflix had Not lost. They gave up the rights to these characters because these shows were cancelled because Disney became a competitor to Netflix by starting their own streaming service. Netflix said, yeah, we're not going to play with you anymore because you're now our competitor. You can have
1: your characters back. (laughs) And honestly, as petty as it was on Netflix's part, and as sad as I am for all the the actors and creatives in the Defenders run it might have actually been the best thing to happen for all of them Mm. Uh, because I mean we'll see what happens and of course the reason we're talking about Daredevil at all is because I I mean not at all we would have gotten around to it eventually because you know uh, it's it's part of the MCU, and we, the reason we're, we're just going to, through it. The reason, we're but the about reason we're Charlie talking Cox, about it now. The reason we're talking about the Charlie
0: Cox Daredevil and not the Ben Affleck Daredevil.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, who wants to talk about that? But uh, but the reason that we're talking about this series now is, of course, we're going to get a continuation. We're going to get a new series, a reboot series on Disney Plus. With Charlie uh, Cox, with, yeah. With Charlie Cox and hopefully more of the the people, um, There's th- been rumors, they're yeah. being they're they're being a little coy, you know. Certain people have said, you know, well, they haven't really talked to me and stuff. But the way that you, you know the way that that the MCU does their their non disclosure agreements and stuff like that, y- you can never take anybody's word for anything. Attention everyone in Atlanta for Marvelous Filming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, They haven't started filming as of time of recording. Uh, They probably will shortly. um, Just because of how long it's going to take to do the special effects and stuff. Although Daredevil is not really an effects-heavy show. Um, But just as post-production and stuff, they, they should probably start filming almost any day now, I would expect. But... Uh I would I would expect that they're probably going to film this in Atlanta, although uh nothing has been uh specifically said. It's probably well, likely.
0: We know but, that Charlie Cox we know that Charlie Cox is gonna show up in the Echo series and that is supposed to come out at some point this year.
1: Yeah, he is he is meant to show up at, at some point in that. That has been delayed yet again.
0: That's why I say it um, might. it's supposed to. It might not come out this year. <laughs> um, there a lot has of
1: been some projects, shuffling in that.
0: Yeah, a lot of Marvel projects had been delayed this year. It looks like Marvel, like Icarus, flew too close to the sun, and all of their projects are just piling up on top of each other.
1: The word on that is that Marvel is worried slightly about market saturation. They're worried that the fans are getting a little... Uh, burnt out? A, a little burnt out.
0: I can understand I ha- that.
1: I have heard people say that they are. We've we've discussed this every time we've talked about the MCU recently. I am still, oh my god, please give me more MCU. I will sit down and watch MCU every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Um. So... I'm not feeling that, but if you are, I, I mean, fair play to you. Uh, I'm, I'm not feeling your vibe, but if that's where you're at, okay, I'm not going to knock you for it. Cake is fine. Some people don't want it for every meal. I will I will eat cake all the time. <laughs> please give me more cake. <laughs> I, I will eat nothing but cake. Thank you. Um, but uh, so yeah, I mean I, I'm just sitting here going more marble, please, thank you.. Uh, I, I think that they're they're trying to slow down a little bit and also that people won't get as burned out. And that's the reason for it. And I understand, yeah. That's what I've heard. And I
0: understand that. I can see where it's coming from. When you're getting movie and then six-hour TV show, movie, then six-hour TV show every other month. You know, one month there's a movie, and another month is a TV show, and the next month after that is a movie, and the next month after that, after that is a TV show. I could see how someone can get burned out on that, but I like you, yes, make mine Marvel, make mine Marvel, give me more Marvel. But I know at some point it's going to affect us too, it just hasn't affected us yet.
1: <laughs> so I mean, yeah, will it ever affect me? I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I... I... I'm a little terrified how much you'd have to give me to, to get me to that point. To OD on Marvel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how much Marvel would it take to OD me on Marvel? I don't know. I am I I really am absolutely terrified to to figure that out. I'm not I'm not sure the limit exists. (laughs) So yeah, we got
0: the return of Vincent D'Onofrio in Hawkeye. We got the return of Charlie Cox in Spider-Man Far From Home. The return of Daredevil just a few months ago in She-Hulk. And oh, what a return that was. In the yellow suit from the original comic as opposed to the red suit most people are familiar with it.
1: Yeah, we had we had ketchup car- Daredevil in in the TV series and mustard Daredevil and She Hulk.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, you know, two great tastes that go great together.
0: Yeah, and uh, continuing continuing Matt Murdock's uh, reputation of um, betting many women.
1: Yeah, and and I'm just I'm just gonna say this. For people who are complaining about that, I need you to understand something. All right. I need you to listen to me and I need you to listen to me carefully. All right. Let me tell you something about my boy Matt Murdock. All right. Matt Murdock, much like Captain America. (laughs) 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 all right (laughs) in the comics matthew michael murdoch be getting it on
0: he is a player
1: constantly um uh, maybe only second to tony stark in running a train on the marvel universe hold your ears over your kid's Hold your, hold your That's hands all I'm your... going to say on that. Okay? I'm not getting any I'm not getting any more than that. <laughs> I That's will. As far as we're going.
0: <laughs> I will say it, hold your hands over your kids' ears, parents. Matt Murdoch is a whore.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we mean that in the best possible way, that is said with love and respect. I mean Claire,
0: Karen, Electra, Jennifer, that's just in the live action shows. He gets it on with Black Widow in the comics. That is one of the things I am very sad we will never see in the MCU. Yeah. Because
1: Charlie Cox
0: and Scarlett Johansson in a project together as Daredevil and Black Widow would have been so awesome.
1: I mean, I I am I am mad at the MCU for denying us that. Yeah. That that would have been some hotness. I I I just said on social media the other day that I would like to see a bisexual slash pansexual daredevil in the new series because I think that amount of slutty energy should not be limited to a single gender. <laughs>
0: I don't know how much the Catholic guild <laughs> will
1: get him on that one. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> He can go to confession all he wants if he feels the need. I, I don't think that's a thing he even needs to confess about. <laughs> Be filled with pride, Matt Murdoch. That
0: was not a walk of shame, that was a stride of pride.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Um no, I am I am very I am very much in favor of Matt Murdoch going through however many people he would like to. <laughs> Matt Murdock deserves a body count (laughs) out there. I've said it. Um, And
0: the the fact that this is referenced in the show itself where Foggy says that he seems to have a new girlfriend every other month when they were in college.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing I didn't get was people who were talking about like, oh, he's so different in She Hulk and I'm like, nope. That's please go back and watch the Netflix series because that is referenced from basically episode one.
0: These are the people who (laughs) heard that their experience in rewatching Daredevil is going to YouTube and rewatching the fight scenes, the one take fight scenes.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's all they see. Because I mean, that's basically when Foggy meets Karen. He's like. Well, hi, I'm Foggy. This is my excruciatingly attractive blind partner-in-law. You're gonna want to have sex with him one day. I've already accepted that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Foggy has such, like, immediate, uh, unfortunate sidekick energy, you know, it's like... Hi, a- I know I'm not the one everyone's here to to, to be here for you. Know? <laughs> Poor Foggy Bear. <laughs> and the thing is, I love Foggy. He's adorable, but he just walks into a room and he's like, Hello, I'm the wingman. <laughs> like, <laughs> have you met my really attractive friend? Have you noticed that he's also blind, and that's gonna make you really way more attractive t- to him? Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. But before we get into the before before we dive headfirst into the show, a little bit of backstory. Of course, Daredevil came out in the '60s, very popular comic. But Daredevil's history with trying to get to the screen. It's a very, very interesting One first attempt, at least the furthest fir- uh, spec that I've been able to find, was around 1974 when, of all people, Angie Bowie, the at-the-time wife of David Bowie, had purchased the rights to Black Widow and Daredevil after seeing them in a comic book together wanting to make a TV show based off these two characters. And he, she did get She did get the rights for one year to produce this TV show. The furthest furthest she ever got was making costumes and doing a photo shoot with actor Ben Carruthers as Daredevil and herself as Black Widow. Now I must say, from this photo shoot, the Black Widow costume, not bad. Accurate enough to the comics for 1974 live action. But that Daredevil costume, ugh, yeesh. A single red leotard with face paint. Did they even try? I don't even think Angie Bowie even knew Daredevil was supposed to be blind.
1: The thing is, is that... Uh, okay. Um, I, I'm just going to say it. Uh, A- 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 Angie Bowie is just the worst. Um... So I'm glad this never happened. Uh she also auditioned for uh Wonder Woman back the Linda- when the the Wonder Woman TV series the 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 Linda Carter Wonder Woman um and did not make it there either. I'm not sure if if she herself was ever into comics or if that was just a a thing that she saw so many of them around because David was into them. Mm. I, I've i never known that about her actually. Um, but I mean, David was constantly into to comics. So I know that he, he had them around. Um, so I, I don't know if it was, if it was her thing or if it was just a, a thing that she, you know, picked up from being around him. But I, I can't. I cannot imagine what that would have ended up being like.
0: Yeah, who knows? The first actual screen appearance of Daredevil in a live action sense was 1989's Trial of the Incredible Hulk. This is when this was at a time where Marvel was trying to. Do these TV movies based off the Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno reprising their roles from the series, and also use the popularity of the show to spin them off into other characters? Uh, they tried it with uh, Thor, and this was their attempt to try to do a Daredevil spinoff with Rex Smith in the role of Matt Murdock and John Rice Davies as Wilson Fisk.
1: I mean. John Reese Davies as Wilson Fisk. Awesome. Just just gonna say that. Um n- n- not so so much giving me Hill's Kitchen <laughs> probably, but <laughs> but ex excellent actor. <laughs> I just can't imagine hearing that voice and thinking like, "Ah, yes, born and raised in Hell's Kitchen."
0: <laughs> in a, in the Trial of Incredible Hulk movie, uh, Matt Murdock is wearing the black suit, the very black suit that we see him wear in this film, which uh, is is very interesting. Not the traditional Daredevil suit that he would wear in the comics. I guess they thought the traditional suit was either. Too cartoony or not practical enough for a TV movie of the week?
1: Yeah, who knows?
0: Who knows? But uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the spinoff never happened. So it was one off. So, but the first live-action Daredevil that we see officially is, in fact, Rex Smith. So he has that going for him. There were other attempts to make a Daredevil movie... But uh, including one in the uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s with Chris Columbus, but that never that never happened. But Chris Columbus had his hand in everything about, around that time. I think there's about a dozen Marvel projects that never happened that he tried to, to make happen that never did. Yeah. Of course, we then we get to the 2003 Daredevil film, Mark Steven Johnson directing, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner. You know that one. Moving on. <laughs> there, there wasn't a t-
1: You know it. You wish it didn't. That's about there all we can say.
0: A, the, the Daredevil movie, for all of its flaws, did was successful enough that they were trying to make a sequel. Uh, and Ben Affleck was trying to get his friend uh, Kevin Smith to to write the script based off uh, one of his storylines that he did for Daredevil. I believe. I mean, it was- that
1: would have definitely made it better.
0: I believe it was going to be based off the Guardian double storyline, but it never happened. Of course, Ben Affleck would later say, Brown t- 2010, that being a superhero, he considered em- embarrassing wearing the costume. Then he would never play another superhero again. And then he played Batman. Yeah. Then, but uh, since the sequel never got made, Fox was in, in, in Fox was trying to do a reboot. Uh, er, around around 2010-ish with David Slade doing uh, as the director. The idea was that the movie was going to take place in the 1970s. It was going to be very dark and gritty. It never happened because that, uh, fo- uh, Fox was weighing their two options and decided to go all in on the eventual 2015 fan for stick movie with, um, with Josh Trank. Good choice there, Fox. Whatever happened to you 20th century, Fox? What happened to you after that? Hmm, what happened <laughs> to you? Because uh, I'm not saying that going with Fan stick over Daredevil 1970s was your
1: demise, but here we are. Look look at your life, look at your choices. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course, because they went with uh, the fan stick as, as instead of David Slade's Daredevil, they allowed the Daredevil rights to go to slip away from Fox back to Marvel, which at this point was owned by Disney. So once Disney got the rights back to Daredevil, Drew Goddard came to Dare, came to Marvel, wanting to make a Daredevil movie. And his idea was to do a bit of a small scale movie because. Daredevil, he's not out there saving the world. He's not out there fighting aliens like the Avengers. He's not even there to save the entire city. He's just there to save his neighborhood, Hell's Kitchen.
1: He's an unfriendly neighborhood, Daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) And Marvel, at the time and even now, is
0: not in the business of small-scale superhero movies. It's big-budget blockbusters. So a small-scale Daredevil movie was never going to happen. But it's small enough scale that we can turn it into a TV show. And here we are. And yeah, the idea of of what we now know as the Defender saga started with Daredevil. So let's talk Daredevil Season 1. Now, this episode, we we are going to focus only... On season one of Daredevil. I understand. That these storylines bleed over. Into the second season. And the Defenders. And everything else. But we are only focusing on season one. For right now. Got it? Good. Let's go. Let's talk about Matt himself. Charlie Cox. I mean. I'll say this. Charlie Cox was perfectly cast. As Matt Murdock. He just for some reason, he just gets the character. I don't know what, how, else, how else to say it. Like, he feels like he's the perfect Matt Murdock. And I'm so glad they brought him back and didn't decide, well, we're just
1: going to recast the guy. Charlie Cox is so good as Daredevil that it took me forever to realize that I had seen him in something before Daredevil.
0: It's the I accent, thought, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I thought that Daredevil was the first thing I had ever seen him in. And it took me forever to realize that he was the lead dude in Neil Gaiman's Stardust. And, you know, that I, I love me some Neil Gaiman. So I was like, oh... How, how how about that uh I didn't realize that he's literally the lead role in that <laughs> but he looks so different and of course you know uh even even though he he is English hearing him now you know uh with his his normal voice <laughs> kind of throws me off uh i recently watched his his most recent uh thing which is also for netflix and i was watching him and i was like oh this this just doesn't feel right <laughs> i i know th- i know this is just him talking with his normal voice but it doesn't doesn't feel right <laughs> so you're 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 american now charlie sorry we've adopted you <laughs> Can you
0: imagine, you know, like, they're, they're filming, and Charlie Cox and Tom Holland, they're talking to each other, acting in their American accents. They yell cut, and all of a sudden, here comes the British accents.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the thing is, is that I, I'm so, I'm so used to just Tom Holland's normal voice with the English accent that that, that wouldn't throw me, but I, I honestly don't. Haven't seen enough of Charlie Cox out of character, that uh, that that still throws me. I haven't seen enough like you know interviews or uh, of his, of his other work, um, but I guess I need to go back and watch Stardust again. <laughs> I, I guess. And
0: one thing about these Marvel shows is that they are heavily inspired by certain eras of comic book writers, like the She Hulk show. Was definitely based off Dan Slott's run of the comic. The Hawkeye show was based off Matt Fraction's run of the comic. The Daredevil show, definitely based off Frank Miller, especially the black suit from uh, from the Man Without Fear run. That I mean, even his 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 backstory is deep in in Frank Miller's version of of events. So, like, we're talking about, you know, comic book accuracy. Kind of, yeah. In terms of storyline, the show's pretty comic accurate. And I will give it that much.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. If, If you're familiar with that run and everything, yeah, you're like, okay, that's where they're drawing that from, and... I understand it I I recognize it I you know but here's here's my problem and it's still a problem that I have with the Disney Plus shows okay for most things that that Marvel has done on TV mm-hmm. they spend the first season of their show creating a hero. And I need them desperately to stop doing that.
0: The first season is always the origin story.
1: No, no, no. Stop it. I'm begging you, stop doing that. An origin story is a movie or a pilot episode. Two-parter at most. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I'm considering a pilot episode. Because a pilot episode is usually longer. You, know. mm-hmm. um, you get basically two hours to give me your origin story for your hero. After that, I expect a hero if I'm watching a hero story. Okay? That's it. You get two hours to establish your character and then I need your character to be established. The first season of Daredevil is 13 episodes and we get Daredevil in his red iconic Daredevil costume halfway through episode 13. That is basically... Twelve and a half hours of him wandering around in street clothes with a bandana over his eyes.
0: And every episode they say, you should get some body armor so this doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, just getting the absolute crap kicked out of him and running to Claire going like, I need you to sew me up again. Like. I, I get that for about two maybe three episodes because you need to establish like okay he doesn't have healing powers and we need to establish Claire as a, a character and a nurse and his friend and you know but after that oh my god, I need him in the red suit, I need him to be daredevil, I need to stop having him wander into work every day and having his friends go like, "Oh, you poor little blind baby, did you run into a wall in your own apartment again? Because that just makes them look like absolute idiots. And that running gag gets old
0: very quickly. Like, Yeah, I mean... This is, every, again, this, is, this is every episode up until the final one here. And
1: he has to keep and, making up excuses. And Foggy has known this man since, like, day one of law school. Have you ever known this man to just run into random walls on a daily basis before Foggy? No. No, you haven't. And now suddenly he's just showing up with a smashed in face every single day. You're gonna start asking questions, aren't you, Foggy? Because that's your job as a lawyer to ask your questions, right? And, and your best friend. And your best friend. But yeah. either you're a really bad best friend, or you're a really bad lawyer, or both. I mean, let's be real; it's it's, it's both. Well, serious. yeah, but I'm just I'm just talking about a normal human being. If your best friend blind or not started walking in every day with their face smashed in you're gonna you're you're gonna call like the police for a wellness check to their apartment right you're gonna start asking some serious questions about what is going on when you're not there that's not like oh i have a visual impairment and i walked into a wall I mean, we have blind friends. They do not walk into walls all the time. You know? Yeah. Like, like give, give people some credit here. You know? <laughs> this is not... You can't just... You know, at, at some point you're going to start saying, like, you know, do you have a partner we don't know about? And are there questions we should start asking, maybe? Like, is your neighborhood rougher than... We noticed, should we put up security cameras outside your apartment? Do you owe money to some, you know, dangerous people? Like, what's going on? But no, no, they're, they're just not asking questions, you know? And I think just maybe putting him in the armored suit from Melvin would have a a little earlier, you know, would, would have maybe helped hide that a little bit. I mean, you can still introduce Claire early on and introduce Matt's relationship with her and her as part of the team and her bit of the story. And, you know, that's fine, but please do not drag that out for 13 episodes. And we um, learned
0: pretty early on that Fisk wears armored suits, and the fact that that kind of gets dropped and picked up at the second half of the seat of the season
1: but yeah they they bring up the idea of Melvin and the suits in relation to Fisk, like the fourth episode or something, and he's he shows up in the eighth episode, so he's earlier you know they they could have moved that up very very easily mm-hmm. but um for you know matt asks for that suit several episodes <laughs> before he actually gets it um and then when he gets it we we really in the first season at least only really get to see him wear it for like one scene yeah. And that's his final fight with Fisk in the in the first season there. Um and even even knowing the the origin of what he's wearing and you know where it comes from and stuff, it it just feels like okay, that you throw that in as a cameo. What the audience wants is iconic red or yellow Daredevil suit. Mm-hmm. We want him to look like Daredevil. You know? And then we don't we don't even get him called Daredevil in season one until like the last scene. You know? We get him yeah. called like the but- Devil of Hell's Kitchen or, you know, the the whatever. But we we don't even get him named until you know and that's a thing that's still going on in in the Disney Plus shows now
0: yeah miss marvel doesn't get the name miss marvel until the final scene of the last episode of that first season
1: and she doesn't get her her outfit until the last episode yeah you know and i mean She-Hulk gets her name earlier, but she doesn't really get her outfit until, like, two episodes before the end of the series, Mm -hmm. and she only wears it, like, twice, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yes, you can have shows about heroes who are reluctant heroes— and still have them be heroes. Mm. You know, you can have scenes where they do heroic things and wear their costume and are called by their names and then have scenes where they are introspective about it.
0: Am I really doing the right thing or am I doing this for myself? Kind
1: yeah, of. Yeah, you know, you know. That, and, and I would like to see that. I mean, I like both those things. I like heroes that are self-reflective. But I also would like to see, you know, people in silly costumes beat up bad guys. That's why I'm watching your show.
0: <laughs> Come on, Marvel. You're here to sell toys. Sell me some toys.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hard to sell me the, the, the legendary figure of dude in a black shirt and pants with a bandana on his face.
0: Yeah.
1: That's not what I'm here for.
0: The, 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 the origin of, of Matt, you know, the, 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 the toxic chemicals going into his eyes. They, the show itself seems to flip-flop on whether the toxic chemicals gives him superpowers or not. That is something that is blatantly said in the comic book and is blatantly said in the 2003 film. But, yeah, this
1: is a superpower. He has extra-human senses. But again, they seem to play that down, and
0: also say he has these super senses and stuff. So they they're not even committing to that, which fine, whatever. Meanwhile, across the street, a little boy with four baby turtles on that ooze, and but that's another story for another day.
1: <laughs> that's the thing. That's another thing I wanted to say. Like, I, I that's kind of one of the things where you're like, yeah, we're we are against disney owning all the things but don't you kind of wish that was the one thing disney owned at this point <laughs> the fact that ninja turtles started out as a
0: blatant parody of frank miller's daredevil using matt murdoch's origin to tell you this is how the turtles came to be here are the turtles you know matt murdoch fights the hand the turtles fight the foot uh matt murdoch was trained by stick the turtles were taught by splinter the, the the cemetery, you know, that's how it all happened, but to have to potentially have all of that under the the Disney umbrella would be cool and weird and scary at the same time, but turtles are not owned by Paramount, so that's a different thing entirely.
1: Yeah, I was like, okay, you stay over there with Nickelodeon, I guess. All right, fine. Um, There's a blue preschool dog on both sides of the spectrum here though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, every everybody as long as everybody has a, a blue dog teaching preschoolers cool things, okay. <laughs> um I I really wanted them to just go ahead and say yes, that's my my superpowers are superpowers. I am yeah. a I am a superhuman now. But yeah. the show never commits to that, and I really hope that Born Again just finally goes ahead and commits to that. They, cu-
0: they play it off as it was training, that all of these abilities aren't necessarily superpowers, but these are abilities that he was taught to by Stick.
1: Except that when he wakes up in the hospital, he is screaming from the intense sensory input.
0: Maybe he needs to sleep in a giant bathtub like Ben Affleck's Daredevil did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it it makes it seem more like Stick is, is teaching him more to control his superpower rather than hone senses. I wish they would go ahead and say that Matt has superpowers because right now the way the TV show does it, it just makes it be like, you know, all disabled people have, you know, a random superpower, you know, which is so weird and kind of strangely harmful.
0: Yeah, that is. I don't like it. That is a running gag in these kind of movies where someone who loses one sense, oh, the other sense will get hyper-focused and they'll compensate and that's 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 nice fiction, but that's not necessarily reality,
1: yeah uh, it's yeah, as a disabled person with sensory issues, please stop doing that. It's n- not fun, and it's not a superpower um it's It's sometimes very useful, but it's it's also mostly just really annoying. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I like the way they set up Matt and his dad.
0: Ah uh, yes, battling Jack Murdoch.
1: Yeah, the- as especially because we will get to Fisk and his dad later, but Matt and his dad at the beginning of the the season so good in the way they set up that relationship.
0: The 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 counterpoint between the two how. Even though his dad was struggling, it was still a very loving father-son relationship. He's doing everything for his son. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he starts taking dives in fights because he's going to get paid more. And he does it so to pay for his son's schooling. So everything he does is for his son. He even, you know, fights. He's even tried, he even wins a fight that he's supposed to lose because he wants his son to be proud of him. Knowing what's going to happen if he does win. And that whole thing at the end where he changes the bets and bet it all on me, I'm going to win. And then calling up the orphan and saying, hey, take care of Maddie for me. Something, you know, something bad might happen to me today. So he he knows that if he, you know, he knows he's going to die if he wins this fight. Yet he wins it anyway because he wants his son to be proud of him. He wants his son to witness his father... With a cheering crowd. All of that. All of. Matt's father. His entire thing is. I'm doing this for my son. While Fisk's father is. I'm doing this for me. And my family is holding me down. But we'll. We'll we'll get to Fisk in a minute. I want to stay on Matt for right now.
1: Yeah. You you know that even though. Matt and Jack were very different people Mm -hmm. that there was real love there, Mm -hmm. you know, Jack, Jack was really devoted to his son and trying to trying to make sure that he had the best life and trying to make sure that Matt ended up with better circumstances than Jack had.
0: Yeah, even telling him you don't want to be like me, don't be like me, be better.
1: I think I think that that Jack's don't be like me that he felt that he was a morally bad person as this that he felt his circumstances had kind of led him where he was and he wanted Matt's circumstances to be better. You know? Uh hit the books, study hard. You know, you don't want to be in a position where you have to bow to these, to this criminal element. You know, you don't want to find yourself indebted to these, these people. I like that. And I like that Jack was kind of, despite where he ended up, kind of a stand-up guy. Yeah. Uh... In in the end, I mean, he he did throw the the matches at, at at first, uh, in order to try to get more money. But in the end, he, I mean, he bet on himself and,
0: and he he, he did set it
1: up and yeah. and then he and then he won, even though he knew that he was probably gonna get beat up or worse for it um and it ended up costing him his life. Yeah uh, and- but it did end up setting Matt up. You know he he was able to to get out and go to college and become a lawyer uh, and be a lawyer, but it did cost him his dad. And uh which is yeah. tragic. Yeah
0: which leads us to stick which that's a whole nother can of worms right there. Stick wants Matt to be a warrior because the war is coming. That's, uh, and Matt just wants a father figure. And those two ideologies clash. Stick being so cruel to Matt saying, you know, I want a warrior. You want a father. This isn't going to work out. Even telling him as an adult, you know, emotional attachments make you weak, cut off your friends, cut off your job. The, The main goal is the war. Now, granted, at this point in the series, we don't know what the war is. That doesn't come up until season two. An adult figure in a child's life being obsessed with preparing for the war that's coming has a whole new meaning in 2023 than it did in 2015. Yeah. So it is taking that, that that those scenes in a new light. Sticked he sees Matt as his his warrior, his the one that's going to take down, you know, spoiler for season two, take down the hand and save the world from their evil influence. But uh, you know, Matt just on one hand, Matt wants to just be a kid because he is a kid at this point, and he also just wants to save his city. He doesn't want to really save the world.
1: Yeah. But the the thing is is that we see in the first season that the reason that Stick abandons Matt as a child is that Matt is too he's too kind. Is that stick's ideology wants you to abandon emotion you you have to abandon your empathy and you have to abandon your attachment to others and Matt is doing things like saving the the Ice cream wrapper that Stick gave him, and you know, like turning it into all a this. friendship bracelet, you know, yeah, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you're I really care for you, you're kind of my father figure, you're you know, I you've taught me a lot, you're my sensei, you're my whatever, you know, and Stick is like, yeah, no, you're you're too nice, you're and then you're that, too that,
0: that is another too, parallel. Another parallel in the Daredevil Ninja Turtle parallels in that Stick has no intention of ever being the father figure for Matt while everyone sees Splinter as the turtle's father in all media at this point.
1: And that's what he wants to be. Yeah. I- I Splinter also sees himself as the turtle father. You know, it's... yeah it's very much and and he and he wants to foster that those em, emotions and good feelings and you know um so he's he's very much the the anti stick um, in that in that way but uh you know stick only kind of shows up as a, a teaser for for season 2 really in in this season um, it's more just to kind of let us know how Matt got his initial training. Like, well, if your boxer dad died, how did you learn to fight after you were blind? You know
0: and in the original comic before Frank Miller took over, that is just it. He learned all his fighting skills from his dad. It isn't until that era where we in where we get stick and it told him that stick taught him how to do all this stuff even yeah. in the 2003 movie they o- omit stick completely and it's just whatever skills his dad knew and whatever skills he could teach himself
1: which is weird because they also had electra which is at least in the you know in this version of the story is very much tied to stick and you know I um, do like that they kind of I do like that they kind of tease Electra
0: a little bit in this in this in the show in one of the flashbacks where Foggy says that Matt only took uh, that Matt only took Spanish because of the cute Greek girl that that took the class.
1: Yeah, and it's not until season 2 that we actually see the cute Greek girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh It's, you know, things, things, if you're paying attention and you know a little bit about the comics, you can, you can see things coming. But uh, we, we get a lot about Matt's faith, of course, because that's always been a big part of Daredevil.
0: The Catholic Um, guilt of Matt Murdock. (laughs) Yeah. But Matt Um, Matt is also a huge hypocrite when it comes to his Catholicism. (laughs)
1: I yeah, mean, but I mean he was he was raised by uh the the nuns in the orphanage and he still has a a very close uh relationship with Father Paul and his mother, but that's another that's a spoiler for another Yeah, a sp- spoiler for another time. Uh you know, season one kind of makes Matt seem like a, a Disney princess in, in that way of like <laughs> and mother will be madam not appearing in this uh, season father Paul shows up all the time because Matt constantly goes to, to church for confession
0: I do uh, like the first time we see him he's like I'm not I'm not asking for forgiveness for something I've done I'm asking for forgiveness for something I'm going to do that's not how it works yeah uh and yeah it's you know i mean much like the comic and even the, twi- uh, the 2003 movie where the 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 father fully knows what's going on but confessional confidentiality can't say anything
1: yeah i mean he he does he does give him advice through, throughout and and talks him him through it you know um but it's it's a really good good relationship, and I do like the conversations that they have, and I do like the sort of paternal i mean yeah, he's a father, Paul, but you know he he really does take that paternal role on for Matt. I do I think my favorite scene between them in in season 1 is when when they're talking about the origin of the word satan mm-hmm. and whether or not Father Paul believes in the idea of the devil as a singular entity of evil, or if he believes in Satan by the original meaning of just any adversary, um, and he tells the story of serving in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that—that that is such a gripping scene, and I think both actors play it so well. I re- I really think that that is is one of the better scenes in all of season 1 and it's definitely the best scene with Father Paul. Yeah. Um at least in in the season. Let's let's kind of fast forward in a bit to you know
0: when the when the secret is out cuz Foggy eventually finds out that Matt is the man in the mask. This is after all of the stuff that happened, you know, from the killing of the cops to the blowing up of the buildings. So you know, here, here's Foggy, the that we just talked about being, you know, the sidekick, the wingman, finding out that his best friend has been hiding the secret that he is the man in the mask, the guy that's been going out and fighting everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean Nelson versus Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they, and, and the, they call and the, it that for a reason. Um, yeah, and, and and the fact that
0: it's the, the the and that whole episode being, you know, the modern scenes being Nelson and Murdoch going off on each other for for the, for the secret, and the entire second half of the episode being the the flashback to how they met, how they started as interns, how they started their law firm together. Because you, you really do see the beginning of the friendship and the end of the friendship. At least at that point in the, in the series. Yeah. So it's a nice bookend in that. I think it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. It's just because you see these two people who are just really, really great friends. And how, you know, from Foggy's perspective, the whole, their whole friendship has been a lie. And Eldon Henson. Perfect foggy we last talked about it when we talked about the mighty ducks and when this show came out and when the I, the number of people who were shocked like wait this is the same guy from mighty ducks
1: we we did we did mention like you know what what a glow up <laughs> you <laughs> know because we we were talking about that when we talked about uh Mighty Ducks and we were like yeah we were shocked when he showed up again on on Daredevil um and we said we're going to talk about that when we get to Daredevil um but yeah i mean he's he's so adorable in this and i think he's kind of perfect for Foggy honestly and the way he plays Foggy up as on
0: some, there are some scenes where it looks like he could go into Creeper Town, but when push comes to shove, he shoves himself to be a stand-up guy. You know, he's he's willing to stick his neck out to keep Matt's secret, to go around and try to find out more stuff on Fisk, to to go into the rest of this burning building to see if anyone else needs help all the while as we find out later that he has freaking shards of glass in the side of his in the side of his stomach
1: yeah i mean the the way he he goes to bat for mrs cardenas you know yeah uh through that that whole storyline um, they
0: they could have played up they could have put it foggy to be like the real jerk but they don't and i love that they don't
1: yeah i mean there are times when when he's a bit dense you know mm-hmm. he he's a bit of a doof sometimes and you're like oh foggy that's that's not that's not how you do you know mm-hmm. but it, like you said when when push comes to shove he's he's really you know there for people and he's really on the right side of things. And you get the the feeling that Matt has been such a positive influence in his life because you know that his family just wanted him to go into the family business and mm. be a butcher, you know? I love how that's like uh-huh. his opening line in all of his big
0: story. Like, Did I ever tell you my mom wanted me to be a butcher?
1: yeah not the Uh,
0: story again foggy
1: (laughs) yeah but uh he wanted to do you know something that had a little more impact and also that had a little more money he wanted to be the big you know the big city corporate lawyer and matt really convinced him like no we should be doing good for people we should be changing people's lives
0: and the fact that foggy believes in matt that much that he's walking away from an internship at the biggest firm in the city uh, a a job that when hired he would have been making guaranteed money and would have been well off for the rest of his days but he's following his best friend but he because he believes in them
1: Yeah, they're going to go be avocados together. (laughs) Avocados at law. And I do like that they kind
0: of tease that he got the name Foggy because we kind of see him doing a – it's implied he's kind of a stoner in college.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't look like they styled him to look in those flashbacks and not think that that's what he's doing all the time in his – dorm room um because they really do those those flashbacks when when matt first walks into that dorm room and he's got the super long hair and the really bad goatee and the, you know um the the thing i like most about foggy is that he takes matt's blindness in stride Like, he kind of, he makes a joke about it when Matt first walks into the room and he's like, what, are you blind? And Matt's like, actually, yeah. And then he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And then Matt's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. It's it's not a big deal. And then it just isn't. And throughout the entire series, we kind of see... Foggy just being like a really good disability ally. Yeah. You know, people will do things and Foggy will just kind of automatically just explain to Matt what's going on. You he know, like. <laughs> yeah, they shrugged or they smiled or they nodded or whatever, you know, and he'll just make sure Matt's filled in on what's going on. You know, and, and it's not like he doesn't stand up and, like, make a big deal about it. Like, excuse me, everyone, please remember that my partner is blind and you're all being jerks. Like, he just kind of calmly just, like, she shrugged, she nodded. They, they did a thing, you know, or we're going to cross the street now or traffic is cleared or, you know, whatever. And it's just it's so cool the way they work it into the show as just these are two friends and Foggy is used to this and it's not a big deal anymore and it's not like he's not constantly like wandering around being like look everyone at how I help my poor you know and then it's like in situations where he knows that Matt is fine and can do things like he just you know He doesn't come into Matt's apartment and be like, oh, can I get something for it? Because it's Matt's apartment. Matt knows where everything is in his own apartment. Foggy just comes in and sits down and is like, yeah, Matt Matt knows where crap is in his own apartment. I don't have to do anything. You know, it's like... (laughs) Again, Foggy's a stand-up
0: guy. He's a pretty good dude. And that is apparently what attracts Marcy to him. Because we got, you know... uh Foggy complains that he doesn't get the girls like Matt does, but uh, Marcy seems to be super into him. They apparently dated at one point during their internship, and she's still into her Foggy Bear.
1: And uh, and Marcy's a looker. Yeah, uh, Mar Marcy's got it going on. Uh, the but the thing is, is I think that Marcy's into Foggy because. Can you imagine working at a place like Lamin and Zach? Oh my goodness, the sorts of douchebags she has to be around every single day.
0: And then in a place like that. And then here's ki- ki- uh, kind, sweethearted Foggy Nelson.
1: Yeah, and then Foggy just walks in and he's like, Hi, I'm adorable. And I don't like, I don't spend 24 7 thinking about like, Money and backstabbing people and like, you know, even though that, that has to was... be such a breath of fresh air,
0: <laughs> even though that was almost the road he went down if it wasn't for Matt.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I was, I'm, I'm like, that's, that going to be great, you know?
0: Like what a what a great thing. But And the fact that Marcy is disappointed when when Foggy calls her for help is like, I thought this was a booty call.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you want me to do something ethical. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, you know, that it's it's probably the reason she's attracted to Foggy, and I don't blame her because that is that is very attractive. Yeah. Ethics are very attractive. <laughs> Just FYI, ethics are attractive. Uh, Honestly, that's probably why Matt gets so much. It's not that he's, like, physically attractive. It's probably just that he's ethically attractive. He just wanders in and is like, I'm going to go fight for, you know, the old Spanish-speaking woman who's, you know, I mean, getting kicked out of her of her apartment building. People true. are like... Man, I am so attracted to you right now. <laughs> that's this whole thing fighting for the little guy.
0: Yeah. You know, and, Uh-oh. you know, I, that's where we get, you know, we we meet, you know, fight for the little guy in the courtroom, fight for the little guy in the street. Uh, and then he ends up in a dumpster, enter Claire Temple, Rosario Dawson, now our Ahsoka Tano in Star Wars.
1: <laughs> yeah and so, a dozen other things as well but yeah uh in the in the MCU she's claire yeah uh but but honestly that's that's kind of that's kind of why she's probably why she's attracted to matt as well because it's like where does she end up running into matt cuz he's helping save her building from the russian mobsters and this whole thing is you know he's trying to find a kidnapped child yeah which he does in one of the most badass scenes ever committed to film the yeah the single the single take fight scene that that
0: the daredevil show has become synonymous for like within the hallway
1: scene All you gotta do is put Charlie Cox and 15 guys in a hallway and just just let the camera run. The fact that they, like,
0: they had to put that in She-Hulk. There was no way they weren't doing that in She-Hulk.
1: Man, if you'd have been in my house when all of a sudden I realized, like, oh my god, we've got Daredevil and a hallway, and I realized, like, where where we where we were going with this the noise i made was not even human (laughs) it's like we are about to have a good time
0: and they say it's a single take but i've seen that scene so many times i think is that really a
1: single take it is definitely not a single take because, uh, yeah, there's, you know, a tip for anybody who's, who's, who watches these things and doesn't know like an awful lot about filmmaking. Uh, and, and it's, and it's, it's a lot more cheaty now that we've got, you know, the digital stuff and everything, but, you know, there are several points in there where he like ducks behind doorways or you know, goes into a room or whatever, like any point where or walks in or walks in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Or walks in front of the camera, like any point where those things happen is a sneaky point to put in an edit. You know, um, if you do not have a, a character 100% in motion in front of the camera uh, you you can put in an edit. I mean, even if it's for a single frame, uh, here's, you, here's can, Charlie Cox. you can put in an edit. Yeah, Charlie Cox
0: runs behind something, and in one second, his stunt man runs out, and there's the fight scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, but but even even for that, you know that they, they did that with the um the long the long single take uh lamentous shot in Loki. Mm. Uh, where they're running through to try to catch the rocket ship mm-hmm. uh, on Lamentus, and that's a single take shot. It's not. It's like five or five or six shots that are stitched together, um, and that's done the same way. Is that there's there's shots where the the camera pans behind a a set piece or. A character runs in front of the camera and completely obscures the angle for, you know, two or three frames and they can edit that way or, you know, things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a thing that looks like a single take, but is not actually a single take. Uh, well, okay. Sorry to ruin that for you if you if you were still under that impression, but it's still such a good, good scene because the. The thing about it is not like, oh, it's a single take. The thing about it is, it's such brilliantly good fight choreography. Oh, yeah. The fight choreography in that hallway scene is just so good. Uh, and if you haven't seen it for a while, look it up. Either on Disney Plus or on YouTube. Uh, because it it's just so worth a rewatch. And it really brings it home of just the tenacity of Matt as he goes through and then the final bit where he walks into that room and you don't even see him finding the child you just hear the child off screen and then he says like you know something like I'm I'm here to help or something Take you and back and then to your he dad, yeah yeah and then he he comes out holding the, the little boy
0: and one it's thing such that I an
1: effective scene
0: one thing that I did I love he actually unmasks before he gets into there to get the kids trust it's very similar to yeah you know the 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 amazing spider-man higging car scene where Peter takes his mask off to get the kids trust look like, I'm just a guy yeah and you know, again, Matt. Well, I
1: mean, the kid's been kidnapped, and the kidnappers probably hid their faces and stuff. And I mean, yeah. you know, Matt's smart enough to know, like, you don't, you don't want the kid to think you're just another kidnapper, you know? Yeah. The thing uh, about all of that, though, is just the way that Matt and uh, and also Foggy are able to get people's trust. Both of those characters because they're such innately good and helpful characters. Um because we see it when Matt meets Claire, you know, she's she's very worried about it at first because, you know, hey, I found you in a dumpster outside my apartment building, you know, beaten half to death, you know, what's what's wrong with you? And then he's able to very quickly gain her her trust to just because of his sincerity. Um and then of course the way that they're able to meet one of our other characters, which is Karen. Karen as we Page. Get into, to her yeah. story. Um yeah, which be- Deborah Ann Wool, oh my goodness, I cannot say enough good about her. So so good in this series. Perfectly cast as well as Karen.
0: Yeah, I mean starting out she as a suspect in a murder and all of you know her whole story is is interesting going from you know secretary at at this building firm to you know where where she eventually ends up at in the later half of this in the later series as a reporter
1: as all of this stuff yeah but in the in the first in the first season it's just her journey from not realizing that the place that she has a job as a secretary is owned by, you know, Fisk and his criminal enterprise to joining up with Nelson and Murdoch, uh, to be their secretary and help them, you know, bring, bring down Fisk, um, and get some justice for, her colleague that was murdered and of course they tried to blame it on her because they they drugged her and left her in the apartment next to the body uh, and then called the, the cops so that they would find her covered in blood next to the body holding a murder weapon. Um, you know, uh, Matt and Foggy had an in at the Police department and they were like, hey, if you hear of any interesting cases, let us know and we'll show up and just be like, hi, we're your lawyers. And that's what they did with Karen. She was like, "Uh, I don't know you. You're not my lawyers. And they were very quickly able to gain her trust because, well, who else is going to help her?
0: I do love the running gag of Foggy buying the one cop's mother cigars, just to get information. Hey, if you have a, if you're a case, give us a call because we need clients.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thing I will say the one thing that that b- bugs me about Matt's superpowers because it's based on such weirdly debunked science. Because you know the the thing is is like, oh, Matt can hear people's heartbeats and tell if they're lying because, you know, he's a human lie detector or whatever. And of course, lie detectors are completely debunked science or I should say pseudoscience because they were never actually science. But, you know, science has completely debunked them. But, uh, you know, because the funny, the funny thing is is that, you know, one of the reasons that they've been debunked by science is because of people like me, you know, it's like, You listen to my heart, and it's it it does not work like that. You know that the idea is like, oh well, when people are calm, their heartbeat is slow and steady, and everything is like. My my heart does not work like that because of medical issues, and so you know I have to I have to take medication to get my heart to do that uh so un unmedicated my my heart beats rather er- erratically and extremely fast so you know like it, Matt murdock would be like what's your name and i could answer entirely truthfully and he'd be like a liar your t- heartbeat is beating extremely fast and totally irregularly <laughs> it's like nope it's just just my my medical condition uh so yeah. Think about that, Matt. It's the MCU. We can we can believe yeah, people can It's comic can... books. It's comic books. Yeah. But uh you
0: know, yeah, we get Karen's whole story of, you know, she's, you know, at the end of all of it, you know, she's offered the plea deal from whatever company this got refolded into to keep quiet about it, here's money. You sign this document, you don't talk about us. You don't talk about what you saw. You don't do anything. And yes, I'm skipping a lot of the story, but I'm getting to the meat of this. Uh, You know, you sign this document, you get money, and then you never talk about this again. And even though she does, she signs the agreement, she gets paid out, she cannot let it go. And everyone's telling her, let it go. We get Ben Uric, our, our Another character from the comics, the reporter, and he's you know he's telling her let it go, don't go into this, and she can't. She just has to deep dive into all of this, and you know she has to find out what this is about, what that's about, what is this on Fisk? No one knows anything about the guy. We need to find out what he is, who he is, what he's been doing, how he got to all of this, and on one side you can. See you can appreciate that, in a way, Matt and Foggy have rubbed off on her and that she's seeking justice. But there's a difference between that and obsession. And I feel like it borderlines into obsession as the as the series goes on, as this one season goes on, to the point where she tricks Ben and saying, oh, I'm going to find a new... Uh, hot- uh, home for your wife, who is, who is, you know, who you you can't afford the the hospital, the, the home she's staying in. Well, I'm going to find your wife a new home, and it's all a setup to find Fisk's, you know, Wilson's mother to get information on him.
1: I'm, so. I'm gonna say I, I I agree with you that. You can call it obsession, but also like they murdered a man. They tried to murder her. They,
0: they murdered you know,
1: ben. well, they will eventually murder Ben. You know, and you have to ask yourself, like, what is the point where you you say? Yes, it is an obsession, but is obsession with truth and justice uh, ever a bad thing?
0: True. You know, I mean. But how many people died as a direct result of Karen's meddling? In, but a, way, and, with, in a way.
1: With the exception of. Uh, With the exception of the one wormy guy that she shot in self-defense who worked for Fisk, who kidnaps her. Okay. How many of those did Karen kill? Versus how many of those did Fisk kill? True. Okay. Karen... You know, you can say, like, well, you know, Karen was meddling in things, but Karen is not the person who chose to do bad things. You cannot say that the person who is doing good caused a villain to do bad things. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, Fisk is definitely the bad guy here. Unlike most Marvel villains who frequently have some sort of point you can kind of believe in up to a point, you know? We're not we're not talking about a killmonger or you know, we're not talking about the flag smashers or something who sort of have a point you can go like, well, actually, you know. Mm. Um Fisk is just kind of A crime boss, you know, like he's the kingpin. That's what he does. Like, hi, I'm a mob boss. Welcome to my criminal empire. And as, Um, as as a side
0: note, I I will say that I love that the fact that this entire, at least this first season, is filmed and written as a crime drama first and a superhero show second.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much written. You know, kind of like this is the sopranos or something you know it's like it is very it's very much you know high, you know this is the down to earth thing, and other than a few mentions of captain America or whatever we're we're not we're not dealing with superheroes and um,
0: I, do, I do like that, that that the only reason they got their office in the first place is because the rent. Was cheap because the entire neighborhood was trashed in what they call the incident. Yeah, yeah we're, still at, we're still at the <laughs> point where anything that's not in the movies can't directly re- reference the movies. Like they, 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 there's some sly like, oh, if you had a metal suit or a magic hammer, we would believe your story.
1: Yeah, other than the fact that that Foggy directly says the name Captain America at one point, everything else is kind of very obscure uh, in reference to the MCU. But yeah, they they talk about the incident, um, which brings me back to, remember how I said the entire MCU is built on daddy issues and Loki? Uh, Well, here we go. Daredevil is built on daddy issues and Loki cuz Wilson Fisk is built on daddy issues and they got their apartment thanks to Loki so or <laughs> uh, their office thanks to Loki. Um yeah, this entire series is directly
0: coming out of the events of the First Avengers movie because you know, in real life Hell's Kitchen, well not the best wasn't in disarray and after the Avengers it's complete disarray. And the incident had allowed all of these crime bosses to kind of get more power and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, yeah, it's indirectly allowed, you know, spoiler for the rest of this, for other shows, but it's kind of spoil. It's kind of allowed the hand to get more of a grip. haha, In, in New York as a result of, of, uh, of Loki's actions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it is interconnected more than you would think. They're just not allowed to very specifically say it. Going back to to what Karen does, I, everybody kind of wants to portray her as this, like, meddling, you know, busybody who won't let it go, but Honestly, I'm not sure she should let it go. And the thing is, is that, yes, she won't let it go. And Matt keeps telling her, like, let it go because, you know, you don't you don't want to get hurt. But the thing is, is Matt's not letting it go either. And nobody ever faults him for it.
0: I think it's one of the things. One, main character. Two, he actually has the skills to defend himself. Well, from what we understand about Karen at this point in the series she can't
1: but ethically speaking these two people are doing the same thing they are using the tools at their disposal to try to serve the cause of justice and so and, you can't you can't say like well Karen should just take a bunch of money and sign a piece of paper and go home and try to forget that there's like a villain out there who's just murdering people and controlling the cops. Because honestly, that's kind of what a lot of people do in real life. And she does show
0: the beginnings of a very good investigative reporter, which she does become in the later series in the later seasons.
1: Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of a thing of, you know, if you're, if you're going to take any lesson from anything, none of us are ever going to have superpowers, you know, Mm. I mean, say what you want about whether or not the MCU version of Matt Murdock actually has superhuman skills none of us are ever going to be Daredevil or Captain America or, you know, whatever. A lot of us could be Karen Page. A lot of us could be Foggy Nelson. We we could have those skills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We could do those things. I just do find it kind of
0: eh, that, you know, because of her, Ben Yurick dies and then she takes his job.
1: But you know what? Ben also knew what he was getting into. And, and and that's true. He even
0: says he you know he knows what's getting he and he even knows by saying I went to your mother's house alone, he knows what's about to happen to him and he but he's doing it to protect Karen. And yes, yeah. it's it's not lost on me that her name is Karen and she's putting her nose where she probably shouldn't go, years before that term became a thing.
1: Yeah. But the thing is is that Ben has been doing this long before he met her, and he spends the entire, like, first chunk of the season complaining that they don't do this sort of thing anymore. You know, papers don't do this sort of thing anymore. His boss won't let him print this sort of thing anymore. You know, he has to go around and, and do a blog, basically, to get it out there, because it it won't be printed. And we find out later in, in one part, the editor is
0: right. Those kind of stories don't sell newspapers anymore, because not many people buy newspapers anymore. On the other hand, we also find out that it's not the editor, it's his secretary that works for Fisk. So Fisk has people already in the media spinning his story. Yeah. Who knows what other people work for him? We never see that happen in the show, but who knows what other people work for him on the news networks at the other papers, you know?
1: Yeah. And probably the television media and the, you know, other things. I mean, and you don't need to own the CEOs of places necessarily, although he very much might have some sway with them because, you know, we see him going to fancy parties and hobnobbing with them, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you can get one person in a lower down position in the right place to just make sure a memo never makes it to somebody or an email gets deleted or, you know.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, A lot of those people just at at the very top, things just go through their, you know, secretaries or their assistants or whoever. And if you can make sure that The assistant doesn't see it or the, you know, the assistant works for you or the whatever, then it never makes it to the top person. They never hear about it. They never, you know, you don't need to pay off the top person if some person lower down can just make sure the right thing never makes it up the chain. So I kind of like that it was the secretary at the, you know, at the editorial office because it shows how things can get overlooked and missed and thrown away and you know and i
0: love Uh, the framing of that scene where where the well the fbi you know they're arresting the crooked cops they're arresting the senator they're arresting everyone that 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 we've seen so far work for fisk and then he goes into then they go into the newspaper and the way it's framed you think it's the editor and then he turns around and looks at his secretary as she's getting arrested a character that we've only seen in the background who's had no lines the entire series
1: yeah i just want to say that i like that scene because it uses nasun dorma which you hear all the time, but it kind of is one of the few shows that really uses it in a sort of, uh, properly thematic way, um, given the, the, the lyrics and the, the original intent of the song. So I, I, I just kind of want to say that bravo to them for, for using that in that yeah. way. Um, I just don't. I just don't like when, the way that they treat, uh, Karen both in the show and the way a lot of fans treat treat Karen for the like, oh, she should have let things go with fists. Because I support Karen, and you know, even though it's very sad what happened to Ben, I think Ben absolutely knew what he was getting into, and I think that. Even though it is sad what happened to Ben, I honestly think that's the way Ben would have wanted to go out.
0: <laughs> and you know, he he left his wife a a, a comfortable sum. He, as uh, she says at his funeral, you know, uh, he had a life insurance policy put on himself after another criminal threatened him years ago. So he's you know she's she, she's okay.
1: Yeah. Uh. It's it's. It's not exactly like, uh, you know, when you when you talk about how Karen eventually ends up in Ben's job, it's not like she immediately like is like, well, Ben's, you know, barely even cold. Let's <laughs> move into his yeah, like, that's but, like you know, way further down the
0: road. But yeah, yeah.
1: But but, you um, know, like
0: you know, that 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 chain of events that cannot be ignored. But also, you know, to get back to Foggy. Foggy also has, you know, while Karen has the guilt that she caused Ben's death, Foggy gets the guilt of M- Mrs. Cardenia's death. Yeah. Because, you know, while Matt's saying, hey, take the money. Move out. It's not worth the fight. While Foggy's saying, nah, fight. Take it to the man. It's your house. It's your home. They can't kick you out of your home.
1: And, and, and you know, again, Foggy's right. Foggy is is right on that one and once again he's not to blame for her death Fisk is to blame for her death it is the right thing to do to fight these these things you know you are you are not yes if you if you feel you are in danger and you need to make a strategic retreat to to save yourself or you know the people you love i'm i'm not going to say like you know every fight should be a fight to the death okay i'm i'm not saying that but i don't think that either foggy or mrs cardenas could have seen that like oh wilson fisk is willing to blow up several neighborhoods using a suspicious gas leak because he's annoyed about this situation because the
0: the people he works for need this specific block and again teaser for season 2 teaser for the defenders of how important this one city block is
1: yeah but but, yeah. but i mean if you're just imagining like well this is just a landlord being unreasonable, Foggy is is correct. That is a point where you should fight. You have every ethical right to that. Mm-hmm. You know? He did not realize that her life was in that much danger because he did not realize what a absolute psychopath Wilson Fisk was at that point. So, you know, did not have all the information there. Um so again, Foggy is not at fault. Yes, you should fight, you know. Uh Matt maybe had a little more information. I I still don't know if, if Matt was completely in the right at that point, because I don't think Matt foresaw them doing what they did either. Um, He might have thought, like, Fisk is the type of guy to send mobsters to her home to, you know, beat her up or something. As far as you're aware, that was probably... As far
0: as you're aware, uh, Mr. Tully, later Fisk, wants to take that land and turn it into condominiums. Little did we know that that's going to be the office building, that will be the layer of the hand, and the defenders, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they didn't know what the importance of this one city block was at that time.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. um, But, yeah, so, I mean, Matt may have had a, a slight thing of, like, no, you know... The people you're dealing with might be willing to come break your knees over it. So, you know, maybe don't put her in that kind of danger. But, you know, I'm still saying Foggy was right uh, from the information he had. I'm still of the the opinion that, you know, pe- people backing down is kind of t- most of the problem with the world. But I think it's I think you know we've kind of danced danced around Mr. We we don't say his name even though we've said his name a lot, so uh, we we should probably talk about uh, our our kingpin himself here and his story because this season really does belong to him and setting him up played amazingly by Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Like who who we have talked about before uh, on the show, not his um, first
0: dance with Marvel. As yeah. uh, he 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 was Thor in Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> I had to mention that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but,
0: yeah, but he was amazing here as the Kingpin, as Wilson Fisk, and his whole story is um is interesting in itself. The mirroring between Matt Matt's relationship with his father. And Wilson's relationship with his father. We get the flashback. Uh, how Wilson's father. Was running for city councilman. He thinks he has ideas that will better the city. But he's really doing it. For more of hey I want to be a big shot. And the way to be a big shot is to get into politics.
1: He He wants money. He yeah. wants money. He wants a house.
0: Someone Eat. getting into politics for the money, that never happens.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that's thats what he says to, to Wilson. Like, you want to be somebody, get on the city council, and that's your ticket in. And he talks about this other guy that he knows and he says, you know, do you remember him? And Wilson says, no. And he says, yeah, that's because as soon as he got on the city council, everybody started putting money in his pocket and he bought a house and he moved out. Like he, he, you know, he lives in a, in a better area of the city now.
0: And of course he loses the election. But he still wants to keep his campaign signs up for some reason. Uh, uh, While wow, someone that loses the election that can't accept that he lost the election, that never happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the point is that, you know, like the lessons that Matt learned from his father and the lessons that Wilson learns from his father. You know, like hey, if someone tries to keep you down, you kick them down and you keep kicking, keep kicking, keep kicking.
1: Whereas Matt learned, no, you get up and and you keep fighting for the the right, you know, even if people tell you to take a dive, you get, you get up and you, you fight. Wilson was taught to, to look away when, when people were being abused and Matt was, you know, he lost his sight trying to save a man from being hit by a truck.
0: Yeah.
1: As a, as a child, you know. Mm um it's it's the exact opposite down to the fact where we have a scene where we see both boys take their first drink of alcohol it's such an interesting juxtaposition of you know Matt's father giving him the drink to to steady his nerves when when Matt says I don't want to do it and he's like you know take the drink it'll steady your hands to to help picks me up after a fight and you know he talks Matt through it and he's very gentle and he's very you know whereas Wilson's dad gives him the drink and then mocks him and you know humiliates him and his uh, yeah
0: for uh granted he is a young fat kid so obviously he would get bullied but his father is the biggest bully of them all his father ridicules him for fat. Hey, you know, don't feed him this this garbage. It's gonna make him fatter than he ever is. And also, you know, it's an abusive household. He his verbally he abuses his son and physically he abuses his wife.
1: Yeah. And he he shows Wilson in instead of, you know. Matt's Dad teaches him about fair fights, you know Matt's Dad is a boxer. You fight someone your own weight class. you know you go into the ring. there are rules you know you put on gloves you you spar you you know it's all very regimented. Wilson's dad shows up and he finds yeah the the bully that's been hitting his kid but he is a grown man and this is a child. And what does he do? He beats the child up and with a then once the bat, child, yeah. yeah, with a baseball bat. And then once the child is on the ground and begging him t- to stop, he brings Wilson in and he tells him to kick the, the child and keep kicking. Kick him
0: while he's down.
1: Yeah, kick him while he's down over and over and over again. So not only do you, do you like, bring a weapon and hit an unarmed opponent who is smaller and weaker than you, but then you attack a, an opponent when they're down. You know, as there is nothing fair at all about the way Bill Fisk fights.
0: And the mirroring of the wall. Because... Er- Earlier in the in in the in the season we see Fisk buy this plain white painting from Vanessa. We think because oh he's trying to impress Vanessa. Oh, I'll buy this painting and she'll think I'm some sort of art buff and I I'll, I'll get her to go out with me. But in reality, it looks exactly like the white painted wall he had in his childhood. The one his father told him to stare at and think about becoming a man. And he says, I stare at that painting every day when I get up because that's what he was doing when he was a child. Yeah, it's that, you know, while he tries to remind himself, he says this, I try to remind myself every day that I'm not my father, but look at him every day. He's putting on his dad's cufflinks. He's looking at a painting that is an exact representation of the wall his father forced him to look at every day when he was a child. In the mirror every day, and I love how that scene is set up. In the mirror every day, he doesn't see himself as a man, as a grown man. He sees himself still as that scared little boy that his father would abuse. So no matter how many times, how much he has tried to... Run away. From his father. It's still consuming him. It's still part of his life. Whether he wants it to be or not.
1: Yeah. And it's. It's so. Tragic. You know that that's where he is. Stuck mentally. And.
0: It's probably why he speaks. The way he does because he's trying to. Hide. Because his father had that accent. He, and the young actor they get to have to play him, it kind of has a little bit of that accent too. That New York accent. And Because when you first see the episode, you go, like, why is D'Onofrio delivering the lines this way? And it makes sense when you realize it's him trying to talk how he sees a sophisticated man should talk. And not as this poor kid from the streets.
1: Whereas. You know. Even though. Matt had a good education. And is extremely. Knowledgeable and stuff. He does speak. A, a little more. Like. A New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. A little more like a New Yorker. I mean it's not extraordinarily. Pronounced. But as, as good he, as a New Yorker, he and, he and Foggy kind of talk. Similarly,
0: yeah. Well, they um, both grew up in Hell's Kitchen, so yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, and they kind of, they kind of sound like it, you know, so. And, and kudos to
0: Charlie Cox for doing this while trying to suppress a British accent.
1: Yeah. Um, although, although I will once again remind casting directors we have American actors. <laughs> they exist. You have several of them in this TV series. No. Uh, <laughs> um the uh but yeah, I mean it's it is the the difference between, you know, the the person who is trying to project that that power and that idea, but uh, the thing is, though, is that Wilson is also not an unintelligent man and not an uh, unsophisticated man in in some ways. Uh, we know that he has learned multiple languages over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even though he has his little lackey translate for him, he has learned the languages of all of the people that he has to do dealings with. So he has learned Japanese, he has learned Russian, he has learned Mandarin. I think it's more of just in case they're talking crap behind his back
0: rather than... Uh, and keeping the translator for appearances kind of deal.
1: But that's still an incredibly savvy move that not a lot of people are capable of or mm. would be willing to follow through on. So it, it shows a great deal of tenacity and a great deal of intelligence and Intelligence, uh, forethought.
0: In, intelligence in the appearance of ignorance.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's... And it also, you know, shows intelligence on the part of Madame Gao that she figured out a long time ago that he spoke all those languages and the translator was just for appearances. <laughs> um, oh, 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 we can talk about Madame Gao. <laughs> yeah, that would, that's probably my favorite scene with Madame Gao in the first season is is her meeting with uh, with Fisk where she's like yeah we don't need the translator do we and he was like wait you speak English and she's like yeah and I know you speak Mandarin and everything I love that she was just that one step ahead of him and he was like how long have you known and she's like oh for a while and I know you speak Japanese and Russian too <laughs> like, yeah. so why are you speaking
0: to me now cause you're slipping up cause you got a girl now
1: <laughs> yeah but, um,
0: you know, you know the whole thing of 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 Wilson just getting fed up of the abuse, of getting fed up of the verbal abuse from his father, the physical abuse to his mother. He just can't take it, and he takes the lesson that his father taught him. You know, his father took a weapon and beat down this other guy, this teenager, and then k- told Wilson to kick him. So that lesson goes back to him where Wilson picks up a hammer, wait until his father's back is turned, and bashes his skull in. All while he's saying, keep kicking him, keep kicking him, keep kicking him.
1: But, you know, I think that the person we got to mention at that point is his mother... Who just looks at her son, who has completely lost it at that point. Because I, I don't think he realized what he was doing at that point. You know, he, he just snapped. You know, he's, he's what, 12 at, at he was that moment. He's just trying to protect his mom. Yeah, and, and he, he's, he's just trying to protect his mom. The, the mom sees it. And she realizes what's happened like okay my husband's dead and if anybody finds out they're going to take my son away from me and she loved her son. She immediately just looks at him and is like get this all to like no emotion no no panic no nothing she just looks at her son she's like it's okay baby it wasn't your fault you were just trying to help your mama. Get this all. <laughs> like, it sounds like she's been <laughs> planning this for a while. And I mean, I wouldn't blame her if she had been. So, yeah. I'm not blaming young Wilson or Marlene at that point for what they did. Uh, Bill was awful and, you know. He had a coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he had it coming. It's fine. It's fine.
0: If it but, wasn't Wilson, it would have been the mob bosses he owed money to. And 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 there's a nice, you know, I never noticed it until this rewatch. Was uh, the mob boss that Wilson's father owed money to, is the first mob boss that Wilson gets rid of? Yeah, when he well, as an adult, It's like, yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, my father maybe may have been a pos, but you're still a pos too for for getting money out of him. So you know, go take you out first. <laughs> the
1: The thing is, is that that is a, another thing. Uh, I mean, you know, spoilers for a later season, but that is another thing about the difference between uh, Fisk and M- Matt Murdock is that when Wilson Fisk had the, uh, had the ability to take out somebody who did his father wrong, that's what he did. And Matt is presented with a similar choice in a later season. And instead, he says no and just calls the police and turns it over to the, Proper authorities. As it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than, than. Taking you know. Vengeance for personal reasons. And that's
0: something. That stick kind of. Berates Matt for. He That Matt isn't willing. To take that next step. To kill. He comes close. Many times in the show. To. Crossing that line. But he, he can't do it. To the yeah correct. and yeah.
1: and to- I, I i I love that about him I mean it's it's what makes him such a good character is that idea of him being right up against that line and being able to pull himself back from it
0: and you know that is you know people make the comparisons between Daredevil and Batman. Batman doesn't kill because he knows if he crosses that line there's no going back. Daredevil doesn't kill because he doesn't want to cross the line at all.
1: Yeah, and we see it several times in the in the first season, you know, there's there's even, you know, the the one point where the guy just he's he's got the one guy and he's asking him for information on Fisk before he gets the name Fisk. And he's like, you know, tell me who you work for and all that kind of stuff. And the guy's like, nah, you just you go ahead and kill me. Go ahead and kill me, because I'm dead anyway if I if I talk to you. Matt refuses and the guy calls Matt a coward and then kills himself. Yeah. Um, which t- terrifies Matt, you know, uh just just being there. And that happens a couple of times, you know, where they're, the, the deaths around him are accidental or the other people, you know, cause their, their own deaths out of fear of what Fisk will do to them or their families if he thinks they talked. Yeah. Um. So they, they make it look like they were killed by their, their attacker, you know, killed by, by Matt. So it looks like they died rather than, than speaking. M- Matt refuses even even when people are are you know saying you might as well kill me, you know, because I won't talk to you. He he won't do it. The bit about Fisk is and his thing of you know, Matt we've we've talked and, and joked about, you know, his kind of, you know, running a train through through the Marvel universe. But um Fisk has the the one woman that he falls for, Vanessa, the art dealer, and how that kind of changes him. And I don't want to put down any of Matt's partners, of course. Fisk's love becomes bizarrely obsessive in a very bad way.
0: The thing with Fisk, and it goes back to what I've said before. Fisk grew up as the fat kid, and he hasn't. He even admits he hasn't been on many dates in his life, nor has he. I think this is really the first time he's ever felt love for another person. When he, when when he, when the Russians come in to to talk to him during his date, he gets very. You know, he he kills them because the the he is so embarrassed of the fact that they came in on the first date he's had in who knows how long probably ever and that's you know that he he's only known this woman a few days and he's willing to kill over her
1: i think that's kind of one of the reasons why i'd like matt's approach a little bit versus Wilson's is that a lot of people would be like, Oh, but look at fisk He like immediately falls in love and would do anything for her. And so Matt is very much, I think that you can see it in him that, you know, when one of his partners is in danger, like, you know, Claire is in danger and he absolutely lays waste to everything. But also when Claire goes like, okay, I need some, some time. I got to go skip over there and do some things. He's like, all right, you have fun. You know, hope you come back. We can have more fun together later. But, uh, you know, if you, if you meet somebody, hope, hope you have fun with them. I'm going to go meet a lot of people and have fun with them. I mean,
0: Claire Claire does. Yeah, she she does. He gets he just happens to have unbreakable skin, but that's a story for another day.
1: <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? Like, Fisk is kind of like, I have fallen for you, and you don't have a choice in the matter. And she seems to be on board with that
0: because she somehow had figured out who he is, what he does, and how he does it, and she's completely okay with that.
1: I mean, if if she's also a psychopath, then okay. But I'm just saying that they're not in a healthy relationship.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, mean, say what you want about Matt, but all of his relationships are way more healthy because they're kind of, you know, he. He is very protective in that in that way of like you want to say like okay well love is is protection and everything like Matt will absolutely take down 15 guys to save somebody he had a one night stand with but also if if you're like okay you know but thank you I I need you to, to keep your distance he'll be like okay yeah no sweat yeah, he, he respects bo <laughs> he respects boundaries yeah Can you imagine Wilson Fisk respecting a boundary? No. No, you cannot.
0: (laughs) I mean, in an alternate universe, he ripped hope in reality just to get her back. Yeah. (laughs) But I I also think that comes from, like I said, Fisk was the fat kid. He never had a lot of dates as a young person, probably ever. And here's the one person who is giving him that attention. So he's going to hyper-focus on it and make that his entire world you know, he even says that to her, you know, everything for you. To the point where he starts getting sloppy in his businesses and his business partners call him out on it, even going to the point of trying to poison Vanessa because they see her as the problem. Like It was fine until this woman came into your life and now we're on the verge of losing it all to this guy in a mask. Which wouldn't have happened if you weren't focused on this woman.
1: How many times do you know that to happen in real life, though, where people are like, I'm going to stop doing everything in my life because I've got a partner now. And then the entire friend group goes, oh, yeah, we don't like it because they've got a partner now. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, y'all need to stop it. Like on both sides. Yeah. On both sides. Both sides of that equation need to stop. It is unhealthy for everybody. Do not hyper-focus on your partner. Do not blame your friend for falling in love with somebody. Like, everybody in that situation needs to chill. Uh, but, yeah, it's... it's uh, So, yeah, be, be a Matt Murdock.
0: But also, Vanessa changes <laughs> Fisk in a way that helps him more because... If it wasn't for Vanessa, he wouldn't get the idea to go public with it, with his identity ahead of Ben printing the story about him. But then there's also the changes. Oh, you're not going to wear your father's conflicts anymore. You're not going to wear the black suit you've been wearing every day of your life. You're going to wear this uh, gray suit for a while. You know, a, a bit of a change-up. a new A new
1: look. I mean... Yeah, baby steps, but it would have been nice if she'd have started with, you know, like, can we not murder people? You know, I mean, if you're going to change people, maybe she's fully aware of who he is and what he does.
0: And she's okay with that part. It's the public image that she (laughs) wants to change.
1: I'm okay with the murdering, but can you just dress a little snazzier, sweetheart? Yeah, that seems to be
0: the whole thing with Vanessa. Like, she's okay with the with the underhanded dealings and dealing with gangs and drugs and stuff and embezzling money and murdering people, but can you wear
1: a better suit? I mean, she is an art dealer, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Did the whole power struggle between him and Matt and Matt finally finding the, the one reasonable cop that is not on Fisk's payroll and him finally getting the, the one cop that will turn public evidence and Foggy's girlfriend deciding to help and bring her big powered law firm into things. And, you know, eventually they're able to bring Fisk's organization to, you know, attention with the help of the, the blog post that Ben wrote. So, you know, they they eventually do get him arrested because they have enough now to get all of those people that he's paid off arrested through the FBI. And, uh, I, and Yeah,
0: and all of Fisk's business partners are dead. Yeah, because Fisk murdered them all. The Russians are dead. Well...
1: I mean, well, most Matt of them are dead. To some of them.
0: Matt got to Nobu and burned him, but uh, he, he'll get better. Yeah. And then Madame Gao gets out of there saying, "I'm going to go home. Oh, or to China? N- no, somewhere else, somewhere far away where there's dragons and people with glowing hands."
1: The, much- the Russians get off, and the the uh, guy who ran the uh, company that Karen worked for gets off, and. Karen ends up taking out the, the wormy guy that works for Fisk. He and was it's just one friend. of the best yeah. things, because you really you really have wanted that guy to die since he was introduced. Because he's but just it, so wormy. But it does show that Fisk did care about him. Cause you know, once they say, Oh,
0: he was just a wormy guy, he was my friend, and just beats one of his guy ha- one of his guys half to death for it.
1: Which yeah, said and, a then, lot. and then With- one of the other guys standing next to him was like, oh, sir, maybe you don't want to, like, absolutely just uh, beat one of your dudes to a pulp. And he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it
0: it it does show that that is the closest thing Fisk has to a friend.
1: Yeah, it was a yes man who would tell him whatever he wanted, which is really pathetic. You know, F- Fisk's little escape initially from that that police transport was really well handled in the show I do like that even though all
0: of his people you know all of the crooked cops all of the crooked politicians the crooked people at the newspaper and you know all of these people were arrested but he still has other people that are loyal to him just how far of a reach does he have you know
1: well, I mean, I think they were, they were all mercenaries, probably.
0: I mean, he had a bunch of in body that dark, final, so, yeah,
1: bit. yeah. The thing is, though, is that he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that meddling daredevil, <laughs> who finally got his his suit, because all Melvin wants is is his girlfriend to be okay.
0: Melvin has issues that he admits he has a. He gets confused sometimes, but he's a hell of a tailor.
1: Yeah, the thing but- is, is that they never really talk in the series about Fisk's. I hesitate to call him Powers, but in the comics, you know, in, in the in the show, he's just the fat kid that grew up to be Vincent D'Onofrio. but. In the comics it's very clear that he he looks like what people think is a fat man until you fight him and then you realize that that's not fat that's 100% muscle. I love
0: that they explained that in the cartoon series, uh the 90s cartoon series is like, "No, no,
1: I'm not fat.
0: This is 300 pounds of pure muscle."
1: Yeah. But I also kind of like that that they show that more on the TV series rather than say explicitly because and we've talked about this on the show before m- men who do well and 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 women as well you know but people who do one like the the strongest weightlifting competitions like the strongest person in the world competitions and stuff. The people who like drag cars and throw full-size trees and stuff like that. They're not looking like Schwarzenegger, no. Yeah, they do not look like, you know, Captain America or Thor or what. An 80s they, pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah, they're not all ripped abs and pecs. They have, you know, layers of fat and stuff around because you need that to keep those muscles in place in order to do those feats of strength. You know, they look like Wilson Fisk.
0: Yeah, there's bodybuilders and there's powerlifters. Or uh, as uh, a, 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 a as I've been told once, there's muscles for show and muscles for go.
1: The muscles for for go, as you said, are absolutely look. Much more like Vincent D'Onofrio than they do, uh, like most of the the heroes in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I like that they they don't say you know like this is 100% muscle because if you have 100% muscle you can't do the the things that Kingpin does, and Kingpin is shown doing like very impressive feats of strength. Including in the final fight with Daredevil, um, where he almost wins. I mean, even though Daredevil's got the upgraded suit and, you know, he's he's there and he's ready to to take on Fisk. I mean, Fisk just absolutely beats the crap out of him, including lifting him up into the air and almost doing like a Bane backbreaker on him. <laughs> Which also amazing
0: is amazing when he kind of does the same feats in Hawkeye. And people are saying, oh, they 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 made Kingpin OP. It's like, did you not watch the show?
1: Yeah, I mean he does the exact same stuff in Hawkeye, including like getting hit by a car and getting back up. And I'm like no that's pretty much Almost exactly what happens in in Netflix, too, because he's in car accidents and gets up without, like, the other two guys in that car, like, they're out like a light almost immediately, and Kingpin gets up like almost nothing happened, you know? He he picks up Daredevil like he's a ragdoll during that fight.
0: And this is is the first time uh, Matt gets right up on the edge of that line. He says, I'm going to kill you. He doesn't because he pulls back, but after everything that Fisk has done throughout the entire season, no one would blame him if he killed him, but he just can't bring himself to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he does render him unconscious, Mm -hmm. but that's that's it i mean you know it's daredevil by a knockout but uh, that's that's about it um and you know finally letting uh letting his friend at the police department get the cuffs on him
0: and yeah the last thing we see from fisk is him looking at the white painted wall
1: in the cell yeah
0: yeah, I mean, no matter how much he tries to run away from it, that will always be there. But it's like, no matter how much he tries to get away from that part of his life, it's still going to be there in his mind. But it's also a perfect example of trauma is not an, an excuse.
1: Both Matt and Wilson had a loving parental figure and an abusive parental figure. Matt had his father who was very loving and Stick who was very abusive to him. Wilson had his mother who was very loving and his father who was very abusive to him. And they both learned similar lessons from each of those parental figures. Uh, Because Stick tried to teach uh, an almost identical lesson to what Wilson learned from his abusive father. And they turned out completely opposite people. So while trauma does explain a lot about Fisk, it absolutely does not excuse anything about Fisk. Because Matt could have gone the same way and he chose the opposite path. You know, Matt Matt could have been just as abusive and just as uh, horrible, cruel. and used yeah. his power in the in the same way. And he each at each point he chose to be kind. So you know, uh, just in in wrapping this up, we we d- we did mention that the, you know nobody wants to talk about the the Ben Affleck Daredevil, but the uh, it did give this series one thing, mm. which is that the series mostly takes from. Frank Miller, but they did pull one thing from the Ben Affleck film, which is that uh, Matt in this series mostly wears red tinted shades (laughs) and that was first introduced in the Ben Affleck film. That was a costuming choice for the Ben Affleck film and afterwards was pulled into several of the comic runs. Um, While Matt Murdock does wear glasses or sunglasses of various types through most of the comic runs, they were not red tinted until the Ben Affleck movie. But they became so kind of iconic after that and started being drawn into so many comic runs after that, that when they did the Netflix show they decided that they needed to use the the red uh, shades. So they specifically crafted red glasses for Matt. If you want to credit the Ben Affleck film for anything, credit for the fact that Daredevil now wears red tinted glasses.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that's all we can go into, uh, Daredevil season one. So let's wrap this up by asking the question, Kiki. Does Daredevil season one have the magic?
1: I think so. It's got, it's got a lot of problems to it. I think it's a little too dark. Daredevil in the comic, well, up until Frank Miller, and Frank Miller's problem is he's always too dark in everything. I wish they had based it on basically almost anybody else other than Frank Miller, honestly. It's a little too dark in tone.
0: It's a little too dark in shading, because I tried to show this to someone before and they couldn't even see what was going on on the
1: screen. Well, yeah, but that's a problem with almost everything now. Uh, Most MCU projects, as far as mainline MCU, the Netflix stuff was a bit too too visually dark which is super ironic in this case about a guy who is blind but um the the defender's stuff was was very visually uh difficult to to see because of the cinematography I agree with you but as far as dark in tone uh because in most of the comic runs Matt Murdock is very very funny and they do give him moments of levity and, you know, he, he is snarky and stuff. But comics-wise...
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about his appearance in She-Hulk. And why some so many people hated that the way he was characterized in She-Hulk. Like, this is still comic accurate. It's just a different comic that you're not reading because you only know of the Frank Miller run.
1: Yeah, no. So, I mean... Yeah, like I said, when anybody but Frank Miller's writing him pretty much, he's uh, very funny and, you know, a a lot more lighthearted and just absolutely gets it. Uh, (laughs) um, So I I really hope that the the new series they're doing for Disney Plus uh, has all that. Uh, Charlie Cox has said that that's kind of going to be the tone. But... I like the I like the Netflix show it, it was a good show and I do I do think uh, you know I do think I like it best of the Defenders shows uh, there are things to like about the other Defenders shows and I'm not saying that I don't like a lot of the, the stuff they did in the other Defenders shows but I do think that Daredevil is is by far the best the best of them
0: i'm going to say yes it definitely has the magic it does drag is there enough story for 13 episodes yeah but i will agree with what you said earlier in that i wish they had put him in the red suit much earlier in the show than what they did but yeah it's still it was great going back and re the show it definitely has the magic and if you have not seen the daredevil show please do so it you it pro They've said that it won't be a a requirement to watch the upcoming new show, but it is nice to see, you know, where this character started in the MCU, his origin and, you know, how he became Daredevil. Uh, And Charlie
1: Cox is always fun.
0: Yes, Charlie Cox is awesome.
1: And and, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Deborah and Walt and, you know, everybody. I mean, this cast is just absolutely amazing. And yeah, I hope a- they get as many of them back as possible for the new series. So and I and I want and I want Jennifer Walters to show up a lot so that there can be lots and lots of Hulk smash.
0: <laughs> Long distance relationships.
1: Let's see if they can make it work. <laughs> I I am I am a simple person with simple needs. <laughs> 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 Let's get our Captain America on. That's all I'm asking.
0: <laughs> <sighs> so let's move on to next week. We are diving back in to the Disney Channel original movies. We haven't done a DCOM in a while, so it's about time we've done one. And we are going to be talking about Descendants, a movie that neither one of us has ever seen. But a lot of people talk about it. So we're going to see what the chatter is about. And uh, let's see if the Disney Channel original movies improved since we last talked about Xenon. Yeah. So come back for that. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at RewatchTheMagic. And, of course, new episodes every week at RewatchingTheMagic.podbean.com.
1: Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is ACLU.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.